Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Amen. Well, please get your Bibles out. Open to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and pull out your cell phone. Uh, pull out whatever device you have. We want to be able to dive into the text together. You're going to want to have the text open because we're going to dive into it. Uh, or we're going to glean from it. We're going to really uh, apply it to our lives today. And I want to remind you that the series that we've been going through is called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Our Today. Now, as we look at these passages, we've been examining teachings of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25, and what he's talking about is the return of Christ. He's talked previously about how Christ is going to return and that we need to be ready for it. Uh, that the return of Christ, there will be sorrow, there will be tribulation, there will be hardships, uh, but that we are to look to the return and prepare ourselves for the return of Christ. For us to look forward and ask ourselves how that changes our daily lives? How does that change when we get up in the morning? How does that change when we're driving in traffic? How does that change before we go to bed at nighttime? How does that change how we spend our weekends? And so uh, that's the question that we're asking as we look at this text. And the last two weeks, I've asked you to consider the question, are you ready? And we looked at that in a couple of different ways. One, are you ready to face Jesus' judgment? You should ask yourself that question today. The also, the question is for Christians in anticipation, are you ready? And so as we ask that question, I think it's interesting because we have to realize that we live in a context and we're influenced all the time by the world around us. So when we think of that question, are you ready? You may be taken back to an event in your life that you were asked if you were ready for. Maybe that day when you moved out of your parents' house, maybe your dad or mom looked at you and said, are you ready? Or maybe it was that day right before you walked down the aisle that, uh, that your best man looked at you and said, are you ready? Or maybe it was that day when you moved into your first apartment or you moved into your first home and you asked the question, are you ready? Or maybe it's that day when, when you were having your first child or your second or your fourth child and you're asking the question, am I ready? Are you ready? Well, the reality is the automatic answer to that question is no. <laughs> No, I'm not ready. I'm not fully prepared. I don't feel that. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel like I can go ahead and do this. So if you don't feel fully prepared, just know that that doesn't mean that we don't continue to prepare ourselves and faithfully prepare ourselves for those events. I mean, we prepare ourselves for marriage with premarital counseling, and we prepare ourselves through the dating process, and we prepare ourselves for buying a home, and we, we calculate the cost, and we do the things that we need to in order to prepare ourselves. So previously in Matthew 24, Jesus has been talking about the fact he is going Going to return and to be prepared. Now for the next chapter and a half, we're going to see how to be prepared for that. So the question we really need to be considering is what does it look like to be prepared for the return of Jesus 
Christ. And Jesus has been teaching some lessons in different parables or stories in these texts. Last week, we looked at the parable of the 10 virgins, and the idea was to be prepared because you don't know when Christ is going to come, and also to be faithful and invest in his kingdom. And this week, we're going to be looking at Matthew 25, verses 14 on. And we're going to see that we are called to faithfully serve our master while we wait for his return. We're called to faithfully serve our master as we wait for his return. So Matthew 24, beginning in verse 14. What I want to do here, because Jesus told this in story format. So I want to kind of paint this picture for you as we look at this parable. Jesus told these illustrations or these stories that were not necessarily real, but they actually had a lesson that was connected with them. So Jesus here in Matthew 24, 14, he starts to tell a story. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So now you have to put yourself uh, back in the Middle East in the times of Jesus. Uh, where we're at, let's say we're on a, a large farm, a large land plot, and there's a master, an owner of that land plot, and he comes to three of his servants, and he comes to them with talents. Now, we have to remember that talent meant something different in this text than it does today. Uh, it actually comes from the Greek word talaton, and what it meant was bags of gold or bags of money. But what we've taken it as, because of this parable, is what is useful or the things that we have a natural inclination to. Like this person's really talented at singing, or that person's really talented at math, or whatever else. But what I want you to think today is this doesn't specifically just refer to money, but in the text it is talking about an amount of money that this master is giving to his servants. So he comes to these servants and he gives them each bags of gold. Now a talent, it's debatable how much money it actually was, uh, but really it's supposed to be uh, something like 20 years minimum wage. And so uh, within our current context, it's $400,000 or something like that. Others have said it's much, much more, as high as billions of dollars and huge amounts of money. For today's purpose, we'll just consider that it's a huge amount of money and, and that it's a, massive, uh, it, uh, it's a massive privilege to be able to handle this for the master. And he comes to each one of these servants and he gives them a specific amount of bags of gold. The first he gives five, the second he gives two, and the third he gives one. And as we look at this story, we're going to see that these, uh, these servants, they do different things with these bags of gold. So he gives the first five, the second two, and the third one, and then he leaves. He goes away on a long journey. He may have been doing business. He may have been doing a multitude of different things, but he goes away on a journey and the servants are left alone. Now the question that's coming into our minds here now is what are the servants going to do with the talents that have been given to them? And so what we see here is that the master comes to them and he gives them each their own talents. Now I want to stop here right now and pull out something from this text. I want you to notice that each one is given a talent according to his ability and the one who determines what they've been given is the master himself. 
I think it's really easy for us to look around at the world and even in the world of Christianity and look at somebody else and say, man, I wish I could speak like that person. Man, I wish I could evangelize like that person. Man, I wish I could pray like her. If I could pray like her, then I'd actually be able to serve Jesus. But since I can't pray like her, then I'm just going to go ahead and step back because I really can't do anything for the kingdom of God. Well, the reality is, is if you are in Christ, if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have been given a talent. You've been given a responsibility from God to do with it what he has called you to, which is to multiply his kingdom and to invest in his kingdom. Each and every Christian has been given a spiritual gift, and we are all called to do that. No one is called to sit on the sidelines. We are all in the game. We are all called to invest what we've been given into the kingdom of God. So I want you to see that. Because it's really easy to look around at others and say, well, I'm really not as valuable as they are. Yes, you are. You have been given the amount of stewardship, of control, of responsibility that God saw your ability and saw fit to give to you and privilege to you and let you do with it what you're called to do. Don't start looking around at other people's talents and start to think yours is less. If someone came up to you and gave you a billion dollars, would you be very grateful? Yes, you would. But then we look around at people around us and be like, that dude got five billion dollars. Why'd he get five and I only got one? You know, that's not for us to ask the question of. For us to ask the question of is what do I do with the money that actually really isn't even my own when Jesus gives it to us? How do I steward or take care of his resources well? Because when we start to look around at other people, it steals our joy. When we start comparing to other people, it steals our our confidence in the Lord and what he's given to us. So we have to remember that we've each been giving a gifting. So this is for every single Christian. If you're not a Christian, then you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ because you are represented later on in this story and you need to listen today because each and every one of these servants is going to have to give an account in this story of what they did with the treasure. So let's go ahead, let's dive back into the story and see what happens as we look at this. So we see that they're each given a certain amount and the question we have to ask ourselves is are we responding rightly to what God has entrusted us with? Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two more talents. So we see the first two servants do the exact same thing. They go out immediately. The moment the master leaves, they go out immediately and they start investing this money. Now, when we think of investment, we think of the stock market. We think of Amazon or Google or investing in Bitcoin or GameStop. Who would have ever thought (laughs) that investing in GameStop would make that much of a difference in your life if you did that? But that's not how it worked. There wasn't a Jerusalem stock exchange. That's, that's, that's not how things worked back then. The way it worked was you would actually go out and you would start businesses. You would hire people. You'd be inventive. You'd be investing. You'd try and say, how can, I, how can I multiply this money? And you'd put your mind and your effort to it and you would work and you would work hard. Kingdom work is hard work trying to multiply the kingdom of God, invest in the kingdom of God, and use our giftings for the kingdom of God is hard work. 
Now, in our society today, I think work has kind of become something that's a bad thing. I think some people look back at Genesis and say, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was perfection, and then the curse comes, and then, then work happens because of the curse. No, no, you have to look closer at that text. The work is made harder because of the curse. The work has been there. Adam is, he's, he's ruling over this garden. He's taking care of the animals. Work is a gift from God. Did you actually know that we are going to be working for all eternity? You have been gifted work. And we're called to work. We're called to invest. We're called to, to use what God has given us. And it's not easy in this world. But when you do a good hard day's work and you invest well, doesn't it feel good? So we're called to work hard for the kingdom of God. And that's what we see the first two servants do. And they do the exact same thing. They go out and they double it. It's important to see that, that later on in this text that both of them are seen in the exact same way. Whether he had five talents or two talents, they both went out and they doubled. They accomplished the exact same goal. They were diligent, they worked hard, and they doubled the master's money. Now we see a third servant here. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now it's interesting. He gets this large amount of money, these bags of gold. He digs a hole in the ground and he hides it. You may ask the question, well, why did he do that? We're going to find out later why he did that. But what we're going to look at is to know that when we're given these talents from God or these abilities, what God has given us, we're called to multiply and invest them. Really, you could think about doubling. Now, I want you to think about this principle of doubling for just a minute. There's an illustration um, that's often used, and you have may have been asked this question before. The question is, would you rather have a million dollars or a penny that doubles every day for a month. Now, most of us, if you don't know this or haven't done the math before, you would say, give me the million dollars. But I want you to see what happens with the other option. Can we throw that on the screen? So day one, you got one cent. Day two, you have four cents, three, eight cents, so on and so forth. Day seven, you work up to a little over a dollar. Day 11, you're getting 20 bucks. Day 14, you're a little bit less than $200. But after that, we see crazy multiplication of this money. And look at day 30, you would be at $5,368,709.12. The principle of doubling. Now, I want you to just look at this for just a minute with kingdom eyes, okay? Don't think of it as money. Think of it as souls. How powerful is that? You come to Christ. You come to faith in Jesus. You share the good news with someone else. They come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now you have two. They continue to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You get to eight, 64, uh, 163. And as people continue to just faithfully spread the gospel and faithfully speak the kingdom and the good news, we see multiplication happening and God's word moving forth and people's lives being transformed 
transformed and their eternities being changed. Imagine how God could move if a church said, I'm going to use the giftings that God has given me in everyday life. I'm going to invest into the people in my work. I'm going to invest into the people around me. I'm going to share the good news. You know, I think sometimes when we think of this word gospel, people get scared of it. Gospel. You're going to speak the gospel. The reality is it's not something to be scared of. It's good news. That's what it means. So if you had good news, would you want to share it with people? Yes, if you have good news, you want to share it with everybody. That is what the gospel is. What it means is that every person who has ever been born misses the mark of God's holy standard, which is absolute and total perfection. No one's perfect. We're all on the same playing field. Because of that, we're separated from God because of the sin that we have by our very nature and by our choice. We sin and we only go after sin. And because of that, we're separated from God. Now, the reality is, is that would be a horrible place because the punishment that is deserved for that sin is eternal torment in a place called hell. So if it stopped there, that would be a very sad tale and a very sad thing to tell people. It would not be good news. It'd be really bad news. But God, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that means that you can be forgiven of those sins. That means that instead of eternal torment in hell, you can be in eternal paradise and relationship with the creator of the world. That means that you can be made right with God. That means that you can be a new creation. That means that you can have a new life. And that is good news. So may we share that with others. May we share that with those around us. May we share that with people we come in contact with. Imagine a movement of discipleship coming forth from this church. Imagine a movement for multiplication in the state of Michigan. Can you imagine that? God just moving. And all you simply have to do is tell someone about Jesus and the good news that changed your life. They can't argue with your testimony. They can't argue with your testimony. I wouldn't recommend the first thing you walk up to somebody, shake their hand, be like, what's your name? My name is Bill. You know you're going to hell. <laughs> nice to meet you. And then, you know, I recommend you build a relationship and then one day be like, hey, Bill, can I tell you something like the best news that I ever had in my life? God changed me. And then you talk about yourself and you talk about how you were destined and, and how you were a sinner and then how God changed you and what's happened to your life. Can't argue with that. That's your, that's your experience. And they'll hear that and be like, do you know that that can be you too? That God can transform your life. And if the spirit of God is working inside of Bill, he'll come to faith in Jesus Christ. He will come to faith in Jesus Christ. One thing that's beautiful about the sovereignty of God, his control, is that as we evangelize and we tell people about Jesus, if the spirit of God is moving in that person, they will come to Christ, no matter if you do a good presentation of the gospel or not. So may we think about that. How, are we, how can we multiply? How can we reinvest in the kingdom of God? What he's given us is not ours, it's his. So now we take it and we reinvest it. That's what the first two do. They double, they are diligent, and they multiply. And look at what happens. So the master, he's gone off on this long journey. 
Well, one day he comes back home. Now the text actually says that it has been a long time. Well, that's interesting. I think the disciples who he's talking to right now, his followers would have thought that Jesus was going to return very quickly. They would have thought that Jesus is going to be back really soon. You know, I'll serve Jesus for a while. It'll be great. We'll, we'll preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, other most parts of the world. He's going to come back. It'll be awesome. Over 2,000 years later, here we are. Well, the story is true. A long time has occurred. We have to realize, as we did last week, that delays can happen in the return of the bridegroom. And so we have to know that this may be a long time. Jesus may come back in our lifetime, and I pray he does. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, please come back. Because we want him here. Yet the reality is, is that we don't know when he's going to come back. One commentator said, as I was studying this week, that we should live our lives as if Jesus is coming back tomorrow and plan our lives as if Jesus is coming back 100 years from now. Because we have this very short time, which is called life on this earth, to invest in eternal purposes and the eternal kingdom of God. We have every hour, we have every minute, we have every breath, but we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Yesterday, I did a memorial um, for a 27-year-old young lady, 27-year-old young lady named Desi, um, who shared the joy of Jesus everywhere she went. 27 years old. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. So what are we going to do with today? How are we going to invest it? If you don't know Christ, tomorrow could be the day of your accounting. Because what we see within this text is after a long time, the master comes back to settle accounts with them. He expects something to have happened while he was gone. He's coming back to settle those accounts. And so the first one comes forward. He's, he's got the five talents and he's doubled that. He says, master, look, you gave me five talents. Here's five more. The master looks at him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I'll put you over much. Then he says something that masters didn't say to servants. Enter into my joy. The second comes forward, he, he has two and he says, here master, you gave me two, I've doubled it and gotten two more. He says the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you over much. Enter into my joy. It's a beautiful scene for these two who faithfully served, faithfully invested. They enter into the joy of the master. They stand before him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now we have to look at those two words, thinking with the lens of Jesus. We know previously that Jesus has said to the Pharisees when they call him a good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So when we see this word good and Jesus is referring to it, it has something to do with this idea of God. And we look at these who are faithful and through their fruit uh, of, of investing in the kingdom and their love of the master, they show that they're servants of God. The second is faithful. That's the word, faithful. 
I would tell you that faithfulness is the fruit of life change. Faithfulness is the fruit of heart conversion. Serving God with our lives, that's what we're called to. That is what Jeff said today. He said, I am serving God with my entire life. He even said in his testimony that he was trying to serve himself and serve God too, and that just doesn't work. Because God wants all of us. He wants all of us. He doesn't just want some of us. I think sometimes this idea of accepting Jesus into our heart, it's a phrase that's been said over and over again, which is never actually stated in the Bible. But as we look at this phrase, I think it can cause some misconceptions. I know many of us have come to faith in Jesus Christ by praying this prayer and accepting Jesus into our hearts. That's not what I'm saying, but there's some flaws there. First, we're accepting Jesus into our lives. So we're still the, the ruler of our life. We're accepting Jesus into my heart. It's like we're saying, okay, come in. Like, this is my house. You can come and chill in the house. The reality is what we're doing is we are dying. <laughs> we're like, I don't own anything anymore. It's all yours. It's a sold out following of Jesus Christ. It's being sold out in surrender to him. It's just being like, I, all this stuff, my body, my money, my time, my talents, my home, that's yours. That's yours. And it was never ours in the first place. It's only gifts from God, which are from above. That's what James actually says. And so it's really reinvesting and giving him back what he has given us, which is our lives. And it is a sacrifice, but it is the best sacrifice we can ever make. To be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Now we need to look and see that there was a third servant who was given one talent. And the third servant, he went out, he dug a hole, and he buried the money. Servant, the, the master comes back, servant comes forth, and look at what he says. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. Now we know why he dug the hole. Because he was scared of the master. He says to his master, you're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you did not plant. I was scared of you. So I dug a hole, I put you, I'm not messing with him. I, I put his money away, I could lose it somehow and I'm not gonna take that risk. So I'm gonna put it here, here you go, take, your, take it back. The interesting thing is that this servant completely views the master wrong. Look at what has just previously happened. No master says this to their servants, enter into my joy. That doesn't occur in that society. Yet this guy says, you're a hard man. You reap where you did not sow. You gather where you didn't plant. He doesn't know the master. And he has no desire to please the master. He just doesn't want to displease him. And he's afraid and he hides it. There's... So many people in our society today who have wrong views of who God is. 
the Bible actually describes God as abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And that's in the Old Testament. There's some people who want to dichotomize between the new te- God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. That is the God of the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, and I recommend you do, if you read the Old Testament, what you're going to see is a patient, merciful, loving God who continually forgives his people until the day of reckoning comes and the day of judgment comes. He's merciful, he's loving, he's faithful, he's good, he's father, he's friend, he's Lord. He's all of these things. The reality is, yes, God deals differently with those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. There is children and the wicked. If you're a parent and you have a child who you deeply love and a wicked, evil person, you're going to deal with those two very, very differently. That's what we see with God. But the reality is, is that everyone can come to faith in Jesus Christ if they surrender their lives to him. Yet we see that this is not how it is in our world. Romans 1.28 speaks to this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. These are the people who don't acknowledge God as God and realize and think that they are God themselves because they go after only what they want, only after their flesh. And it's just natural. That's what the Bible says. The only way to come to faith in Jesus Christ is to realize that only he can lead our lives and only he can forgive us. It's nothing you can do. We see here, the servant doesn't know the master. So look at the reaction of the master. The master answered him. He calls him two things. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So now take that talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away from him and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth shows eternal torment. It shows torture. It shows pain. Yet look at how this servant is identified. He's shown himself not to be a true servant of the master because he doesn't know him or want to please him. And he's identified as wicked, the opposite of good. He's identified as slothful or lazy, the opposite of faithful. And it's all what he did with what the master gave to him. Every person who's ever been born misses the mark of God's holy standard. Yet God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. But there's a condition. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will perish eternally and you will not have everlasting life with Christ. 
If you've not given your life to Jesus today, today is a good day for you because you can give your life to Jesus. You see, the master, hasn't, he hasn't returned yet. He has not returned. He's not back. The day of accounting is not here. So today, you can give your life to Jesus. Today, you can realize that you're a sinner. You missed the mark of God's holy standard. You can repent and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I bring nothing that can save me on my own, but I, I, I just give my life to you and I trust in Jesus to forgive me. The question becomes, does Jesus know you? What have you done with Jesus? That is the answer. What have you done with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him or have you made yourself God of your own life? And will you be reckoned before the Lord as unfaithful and lazy and thrown into outer darkness into eternal torment. We have to remember the return of the Lord is coming. He will return. He is going to return. It's guaranteed. And there's two different audiences once again in this text. The first is the faithful servants. When the master comes back, it's a beautiful thing. They enter into his joy. But for the one who is not faithful, who didn't know or love the master, who was the hypocrite, who was playing around, who was playing a follower, he is thrown away from the master into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have to remember the return of the Lord. I just want to invite the team forward as we prepare to close, but we have to ask the question for those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus. What has God given you to be faithful with? We're all given different things. If you're in Christ, you have been given salvation. If you're in Christ, you've been given the most valuable gift ever given. If you're in Christ, you've been forgiven of your sins and made new in Jesus. If you are in Christ, then you have that. Now look around at the rest of your life and look at how God has given you and what God has given you to invest in. Has God given you a spouse? If God has given you a spouse, then you need to faithfully invest in that spouse. Has God given you a child? If God has given you a child, you need to faithfully invest in that child. Has God given you the gift of singleness? In the Bible, we see singleness as a gift from God. And what it means is that the reason why it's a gift from God is because you're totally free from all other attachments and you can invest fully into the kingdom of God with everything that you are. It's a gift from God. How are you stewarding that gift? Are you a grandparent who's been given grandchildren? Are you stewarding and taking care and investing in those grandchildren? Have you been given a gift to serve the kingdom of God? You've been given the gift of a job, then, then reach out and share the good news to those around you. Work heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of Christ. Everything that you've done, everything that you have, everything that you are, invested in the kingdom of God. 
because one day he will return. And for those who don't know Christ, it is a terrifying day. Yet for those who do know Jesus and who multiplied and who served faithfully and invested and raised up the next generation and multiplied ministry and did incredible things for the glory of Christ, we're going to be like, God, thank you for what you gave me. I tried to serve you faithfully, God. Whatever, I, whatever it is, I want to give it back to you. I want to worship and praise you. And Lord Jesus, I love you. Looks at you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Really what I want you to see today is the economy and the values that the world has is completely different from God. It doesn't matter how much you've been given, it matters what you've done with that. And truly, if we can step back and see money and time and everything in this world as opportunities to invest in eternity, it will change the way we view the world. And I think the world can be changed through that. And we can say the words of that beautiful old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Will you please stand with us as we sing that beautiful song? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.